the circle of life there, of course, from The Lion King. I am here. I apologize for being late. I am also here with Mr. Daniel Mumby, who also took over the reins for the first couple of minutes. Hello, Daniel. Thank you for finally putting my mic up. Good morning, Tom. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine, um, considering I've only been up for about an hour. How are yeah, you? I, I'm fine, considering I've been up for about half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, um, I, did I didn't take into account certain things that were going to happen this morning, hence my latest, and I do apologise to the listeners for that. That's quite all right. But I'm here now. Yes. And we're ready to do the box office top ten. All right. And number ten, we'll have to, we'll have to kind of bounce Should we just explain here. for people who've just tuned in why Richard isn't here? today. You can, I actually don't know. He's uh, picking up one of his friends from the airport, so he couldn't do it this week, but uh, we, uh, we had the idea of putting the two movie critics in one room and see if the universe doesn't collapse on itself by us arguing. Well, we'll see, we'll see. It's interesting to see. Right, okay, uh, number ten is Pirates of the Caribbean, the fourth one. Which is utter rubbish. Utter rubbish. Yeah, I mean, um, apparently part five is in pre-production already, you know, well, they're at scripting process, and uh, hence... Do they have a script? Exactly, hence the obvious joke. I mean, I'm just hoping... Because Johnny Depp's new film with um, Bruce Robinson, who's the guy who directed With Nell and I, called The Rum Diary, is coming out later yes, this year. Yes, it's the first film for like 20 years. Yeah, yeah, and I, I read an article with Bruce Robinson recently in which he'd said he'd started drinking again as a result of making this film, which in the case of Hunter Thompson adaptation can only be a good sign. Yeah, I suppose, So yes. I'm hoping that even if there is going to be Pirates of the Caribbean 5, then this will sort of mitigate or help redeem him for that. Because well, Johnny Depp is a great actor. He is. Well, he, he, I mean, he used to be known for those art house little classics, and then he made Pirates of the Caribbean, and now it seems he just makes crap summer films. No, oh no. He, the he, Tourist. Yes, but he does balance it out with better work. Rango was good. I'll give and, him, he wasn't even technically in And Rango. all of his work with Tim Burton. But Sweeney Todd was a bit mm, middling for me. Right, we've already started off on a bad note because I love Sweeney Todd. Sorry, well there you go. Anyway, Pirates of the Caribbean 4, number 10, utter rubbish. We both agree on that. Yep, it is. Uh, at number 9, Hangover Part 2. Which is terrible. It, pretty, again, pretty terrible. It's just a high, big budget remake of the first one set in, set in Thailand. It's, but with more racism. But with more racism. I haven't actually seen it. I saw the first half an hour and I walked out. Good and I got a refund. Yes. I demand a refund. Uh, number 8 is Bad Teacher, which again I have not seen. Yeah, it's hung around for ages and ages. I think most people wouldn't have expected it to take this much money because it isn't funny. I mean, Cameron Diaz has been on the slide for a couple of years now, but in this she is really not that good at all. I mean, she's gone from, you know, Gangs in New York, which, all right, she wasn't that great, and just a rom-com, rom-com, rom-com. She's like Jennifer Aniston at the minute. Yeah, she's slightly better than Jennifer Aniston based upon her earlier work, because she's pretty good in The Mask. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, yeah, The Mask, that's because it's, it's just, you know, it's yeah. comic book, isn't it, really? Best, yeah, I mean, best joke about Gangs of New York I ever heard, which was from uh, Mark Kermertz, because of the fact that it was about two and a half hours, three hours long, and he was saying that it was, despite the fact that it had been edited to get half an hour out of it, they said it, the editing actually made it seem like an hour longer. <laughs> <laughs> it needed, like, another hour, but really, I mean, it was still anticlimactic, Gangs of New York, but... We digress. Yes, we do. We I do. could tell the story about Daniel Day-Lewis coming out of retirement to do that role, but that's another story. And coming back out of retirement now to do Lincoln. Do you know about this? Is he playing Abraham He's Lincoln? playing Abraham oh, Lincoln. Oh, fantastic! It was going to be Liam Neeson, but now, officially, Daniel Day-Lewis has signed on to play Lincoln in Steven Spielberg's adaptation of the Doris Kearns Goodwood novel, Team of Rivals. I shoot your president! I don't imagine it'll be like, well, because of course he's not playing it's John Wilkes Booth. But it's also got Joseph Gordon-Levitt in. That's good. And, uh, you know the third Born Identity film? Born to... Born, Born Ultimatum. Ultimatum. You yes. know the guy who plays Noah Vos and the guy who takes it over? David Strathern, yes. He's Seward. He's the Secretary of State Seward. Very good. It's got I a quite a good David cast. Strathern. And uh, Mary Todd Lincoln's been cast as well. Sally Fields. You'll know her when you look at her. Anyway. Yes. Again, we, we are digressing. We are digressing. But this is good. Good digression. That's number eight. That's number seven. Is a film I haven't even heard of. Apparently called Zindag Na Milegju. 
Zindaji Namileji Dabara, which is a Bollywood film called You Only Live Once in its English title. It is essentially The Hangover Goes to Spain, so, hmm. well, well, it'll be better than The Hangover, but... Better than The Hangover Part 2. The Hangover yes. 1 was average. It was just quite funny, not great, it was alright. Yeah, the ha all you need to know about The Hangover 1 is if you've ever seen Very Bad Things with Christian Slater, you don't need to see Hangover. I haven't seen Very Bad Things. That's a much darker, spikier film. Alright, oh, well, that was number 8. Number 7. That was number 7. You're Sorry? Right. 10. Nine, eight, that was number seven, sorry, you're right. Number six is a masterpiece. It's The Tree of Life. You've seen The Tree of Life. I've seen it twice. I'm going to see it a third time tonight. Fantastic. It is tremendous. I really can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, it's not, even if you don't like it, I guarantee you will have no other experience like it in the cinema. It's very different. It's very sort of, it's, it's edited in the way like you kind of remember things, like kind of stop and start and there's like lots of voiceovers. And you know, I'm sure you're a Terrence Malick fan or mm -hmm. you've seen some of his films. And I like his early work, yes. Um, Badlands and Days of Heaven. Mm -hmm. Which proves, the latter of which proves that Richard Gere can act. Well, he doesn't really act in it, because of course he doesn't have that many lines, he just kind of looks towards the sunset and just sort of looks, you know, yes. moody and pensive. But no, he, he can act in it. Uh, Tree of Life is, it, sometimes it does fall into sort of Terence Malick parody, like the shots of space and then there's just, Mother, who are you? Yes. Which I wasn't that much of a fan of, but uh, there's, in the middle of it, and, like, there's an hour and a half in the middle where you see the main person, the main boy called Jack, grow up. And then it's just, and it's just tremendous, like that middle hour and a half, even if you don't like the stuff with the dinosaurs and the creation of the universe and the end's kind of confusing, the middle hour and a half is just sublime. And I really can't recommend it highly enough. Well, I shall take your word for it. And I think it's a Marmite film in the sense that, no, I've, I've known people who, like yourself, have been absolutely taken up in arms by it and other people who thought it was pretentious and actually walked out. Well, yeah, both, both of my showings have had at least five walkouts. That, yeah, I mean, I do think it's dividing it. I mean, for me, Malik has never really made a film as good as Badlands, although there are things in the Thin Red Line which are interesting, like the, the shot of the snails in the middle of it. But, no, any, I'm glad that any Terence Malick film is, work, is taking money and staying around in the cinemas because he is a proper filmmaker. Uh, well, no one really agrees with me, but I think The New World is actually his masterpiece. I'm sorry, I really The second do. half of The New World is really, really good, but up until then it's just tree-hugging nonsense. I, 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 have you seen the director's cut or the ordinary cut? The ordinary cut. I've seen Ordinary Cut. Is well, it longer? I haven't seen the director's cut. I want to. No, I, I absolutely love The New World. And there's, there's, a great, there's a great blog, actually, if you can get on it, called IndieWire, which I'm just saying this to the listeners out there, which is really quite good because basically it did like a thing up to the Tree of Life, sort of like facts you didn't know about its previous films. And it did Badlands, Days of Heaven, Thin Red Line, and The New World. Yeah. And The New World was the most interesting because the, the, the composer, James Horner, basically had a massive fallout with Terence Malick about it because the score basically is just goes to classical music, like Wagner and Mozart. Wagner. Yeah, yes. Wagner, sorry. And James Horner was just like furious, oh, he's going to put Wagner over it. And he got like his own team to edit bits together properly. And everyone said it was brilliant, but then he went off and changed it all and made it look rubbish. And yeah, yeah. he got really frustrated at it. Yeah, but Terence Malick does have a habit of using Wagner in his work, just kind of, you know, on the, the opening of the new one when they get off the boats and Wagner's like, what, did the Germans get here first? No, no, I like that. You see, I like, anyway, we should move yeah, on. We, we could argue about the new world all day, but we let, could. Let's, let's, let's blister through the top ten so we can get to the hitcher. Right, uh, number five. I'm just making sure I've got this right now, you've put me off. The Guard. Yeah, which is an Irish cop film. It actually doesn't come out in this country till August the 19th. At the moment, it's only been released in Northern Ireland, which is quite staggering if it's taking that much money. I like Brendan Gleeson. If you haven't seen either Green Zone or In Bruges, go and see that, because he's really good in both of them. Yeah, but Green Zone's not very good, though. No, yes, it is. No, it's not. It's, it's Jason Bourne set in Iraq. And that's a bad thing. It's just not necessary. I just kept thinking... 
I've seen this before. I've, I'm sorry. I love Paul Greengrass because I love United 93. Good. You've, you've, you've United 93 is terrific. And yes. what he did with the Bourne films is like to find an action genre for the noughties. Like, you know, he'd like, after like the Bourne Supremacy, all action films almost were filmed with that like, shaky cam thing, which I must admit, I'm actually not that much of a fan of, except in the Bourne films yes, and United 93. With, 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 with Greengrass, it's not shaky for the sake of it. It's the fact that that's... The yes, scenes it, happen as they play out, and he just happens to have his camera there. Yeah, and then Quantum of Solace copied it, and Quantum of Solace was dreadful. It was. But anyway, I'm not a big fan of... But yes, you like Brendan Gleeson, and he's good in the guard. Yes, he is. Terrific. Uh, number four, Kung Fu Panda 2. Which is okay. It didn't need to be in 3D. Um, I like Jack Black, and I really like Angelina Jolie, although this is one of her sillier works. It, there's not much more to say, to be honest. It's clearly hitting its target audience in terms of young children and families. It's about, uh, what I've heard again, I haven't seen it. It's about 100 minutes long. It, it's, you know, it, it's just, it's harmless, really. You can go in, you'll have a few laughs. You won't, like, you know, kill yourself laughing, but it's a good, if you want to go to a cinema with your kids and, you, and Harry Potter's sold out, Kung Fu Panda 2 is a much better fallback than Transformers, which we'll get to. Yes, we will. Number three is the funniest film I have seen in the cinema for, since In the Loop, which was a good couple of years That's ago. That's high praise. It is. Bridesmaids in number three. Bridesmaids is very, not, not as funny as In the Loop, actually, but it is very funny. I mean, there was never any side-spitting moments. Like, within the loop, I watched it in the cinema, then I, I knew I had to get it on DVD, because there were certain jokes I missed. I was laughing so hard. Bridesmaids isn't that, but it's quite good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's the comic masterpiece that a lot of people say it is, and but no, compared to Judd Apatow's previous work, it is a lot less questionable and a lot more funny. Well, the thing is, I went in with 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 kind of weird like expectations because I think I went into the Hangover with really high. Everyone was like, "It's so funny, it's so funny." Then I was like, "Yeah, it's all right." When it kind of put me off it almost, mm. and the bridesmaids, I guaranteed not to do that. So I went in like thinking it's not going to be that funny, and it it was funnier than I expected, which is always a good thing. But it's not it's not like you know hearty hearty laughs, but. If you want to go and see a comedy, pretty good. It's pretty good. All right. Number two. Oh, God. Do you want to go first? <sighs> Transformers, Dark of the Moon. I haven't actually seen it, but I've seen the second one. And, I, I, and that film, that, that two, and a half, two hours and 40 minutes of that film was more than enough Transformers for my entire lifetime. If I, if I go not another minute without seeing a Transformers film, I will not be upset. Yeah. Uh, the most interesting thing about Transformers 3 is the fact that there was an article... Uh, quite apart from the fact that more people are seeing it in 2D rather than 3D, and they're seeing it at all as a crime, frankly, uh, there was an article about Michael Bay actually inserting footage from his one of his previous the films on the island, yeah, and people saying, no, oh, actually, he's not the most original filmmaker in the world. Look, the rest of us were there 15 years ago. If you've only just called up, shame on you. Yeah, it's absolutely vile, and, no, I'm, the more, the longer that Harry Potter stays in the top ten, the more, less chance this has of taking money, so let's keep it there. Uh, okay, so that's, that's Transformers Dark of the Moon, which, again, yeah, I really, really can't recommend. Just stay away. I haven't seen it, but just, please, because Michael Bay has made one good film, and that was The Rock, and that was only because Sean Connery's really good in it, and I love Nicolas Cage. Just, yeah, I'll let you off that. The Rock is passable. The Rock is, the, it, it's his most passable film. Yes. It's an action film, it's all right. There's not that much shaky cam. There's actually a bit of a plot, you know. I mean, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery both kind of hammered up a bit, but they're allowed to because it's an action film, and I like it. Transformers, no. No. Number one, I saw it last night, uh, very late, which is probably the reason I was late this morning, I was a bit sleepy. Harry Potter and the Death of the Hallows, part two. Well, if you've seen it, I should probably let you go first. Mm, I really wanted to like it. I really wanted to like it. I saw 96% on Rotten Tomatoes and I thought, get in. I, I hated all the other Harry Potters apart from the third one. And I, I didn't like it. But mainly, I think, actually, there was nothing that much I found wrong with the film. It was just the things I found lazy with the way J.K. Rowling wrote it. So I suppose I can't really criticise the film. Have you read the books as well? 
Yeah, have you read the books? No. Oh well, th right. There's a there's a thing like I I'm tried reading the Philosopher's Stone and I got bored. Yes, it, it, cliche is like oh my, how many times did they get up to stretch their legs? Honestly, listeners, if you've got a copy of Philosopher's Stone, near you count the amount of times when people go for a walk. J.K. Rowling says they stretch their legs. It's literally like a dozen in the first mm -hmm. you know half of the book. Anyway, Transformers. Uh, no, it's not Transformers. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Um, like. I didn't have that much wrong with the film. The action sequences were all right. It was pretty average. But the problem that I found with it was just like the laziness of the, some of the plot devices. Like, there's a room. Have you seen any of the other films? Only up to Azkaban, which is really good. Azkaban is very good. Um, anyway, there's a room which can be whatever you want it to be. The room of requirement, it's called. Sounds like a pretty neat idea, except it's used to explain every single sort of plot thing. Like, oh, we really need this in the castle. Oh, the room of requirement. We, we, and it's just so lazy, like, you know, do you know the storyline of this one? Vaguely. The hunting horcruxes yes. to, kill, to kill Voldemort. And Voldemort hides one. And he hides it in the room of requirement. And I was thinking, that's a really stupid place to hide it, because all you need to think is, I really, really need a horcrux. That's what I need most right now. And then it just opens to a room with a horcrux. I mean, among other things, it's like, that's just a, such a rubbish place to hide something. And there's also the sorting hat, which you can pull anything out of when you need it. It, it, it delivers to those who need what they need to, to defeat evil. So there's a bit when one of the heroes sort of takes out a sword of it. It's like, well, that's just, and it's, it's quite an important sword. It's like, well, that's just such lazy writing. Can you not think of any better way to get that sword in that place rather than like a teleporting hat? Yeah, it's but not then again, just magic. that's not that far removed from the lady in the lake giving out Excalibur in uh, the in the Arthurian films. <laughs> there, is a, there is a link with that. No, because the lake stays in one place, a hat can be anywhere you need it. But anyway. But the lady in the lake moves around. I didn't move around the lake. Anyway, it's all right, actually. Um, it's probably the best David Yates one, but I don't like David Yates that much. Anyway, I think he was a mistake. It's very bloody. Um, there's one sort of PG-13 swear word moment in it, but there's lots well, it's of... It's a 12 age certificate. Yeah, there's lots of... Uh, well, you know, so with the Dark Knight, Dark Knight was pretty harrowing. But anyway. Yeah, that was top end 12. It was, it was certainly. Um, but no, it, it's... it's uh, it, kids will enjoy it. It's not too long, thankfully. It's just over two hours, which I was glad by. A lot of it's crammed into it. Alan Rickman remains the best thing in it, even though he camps it up and sort of eats the screen, but he's allowed to. Choose the scenery, I think, is the phrase you're searching for. Rather than choose actually, the scenery, sorry. Rather than choose, actually eat the screen. Yeah, choose the, sorry, choose the scenery, he does, uh, but he's still quite good. You know, it, Daniel Radcliffe's never going to be a good actor, really, and he's... Oh, no, no, I don't think that's fair. He's very good in the TV version of David Copperfield, and he's going to be in the new version of Women in Black, which is looking really good. Fine, he's rubbish in Harry Potter. He's not very good in Harry Potter. I've very seen weird. the first three seasons. I don't know what it is about being near death that makes teenagers inexplicably horny. Because there's lots of dramatic kisses, and, I, and it's just like, well, you haven't got time. You clearly rush for time. You, you, you both know your feelings for each other. You don't need to do this. Anyway. Yeah. So just to wrap up, I mean, I yes. think we're both agreed that no, regardless of its flaws or merits, the fact that it's taking more money than Transformers, and it has taken bucket loads, mm -hmm. is, can only be a good thing. Well, I love the fact that it did what it did the British film industry. I do love it. Facting only using British actors, filming it all in Britain. I think that's terrific. I commend J.K. Rowling for putting a foot down on that, because it's done wonders for the British film industry. Yeah, I agree. So out of the top... 10 recommendations Harry Potter obviously um, Tree of Life if you if you have patience. if it's near you yeah well, I mean Tyneside will be showing it into next week I think although I think there's only two screenings a day on that so. yeah it's gone down to two yeah and I, otherwise if you've got children I suppose Kung Fu Panda 2 if you haven't seen it already Yes, uh, and uh, Bridesmaids as well. I don't mind Bridesmaids. Yeah, if you it's, want to go. yeah, it's all right. I could have done without a lot of the gross-out stuff, but it's okay. If you're a woman, 
you'd love Bridesmaid, chances are, because it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a woman-oriented comedy. Yeah. But anyway, we'll be reviewing cult classic, or we'll be talking about cult classic The Hitcher, which took a lot of tracking down to me, by the way. I want some kudos for managing to track that film down, because it's quite... How should I express my kudos? I don't, I'm not sure. We'll find some way. Uh, but for the minute, we'll leave you with Phoenix with Listomania. Thanks for tuning in to the district's newest radio station, Lionheart Radio. You want to talk about the hitcher? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I, you, you, I, you were giving me a, a look there, so yeah. that's my fault. The hitcher. That's yes. All right. Well, you, you can tell he's only just started doing this show. So yeah, this is this week's cult classic, which is the hitcher, 1986 horror thriller, directed by Robert Harmon, who started out as I think a still photographer and has since had a fairly prolific career in American television, starring um, a pretty good cast: Rutger Hauer, who is of course most famous for playing Roy Batty in Blade Runner, which I presume you've seen Blade Runner if you're a film fan. I, I've seen like all three versions of Blade Runner. There's a lot more than three, but yes. yeah, the I've seen the, th the 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 original, the director's cut, and then the Blu-ray cut. Yeah, of which the final cut is the best. Um, so Robati in Blade Runner and uh, a great character actor Jennifer Jason Lee, who would later appear in um, a little-known horror B movie called Single White Female with Bridget Fonda, which mm -hmm. is quite creepy, and C. Thomas Howell, who is now um, one of the main directors of Asylum fil Asylum films, which is sort of the modern equivalent of Troma, this sort of straight-to-video stable, who make well Asylum is known for mockbusters, where they'll take the film that's been in the cinemas and take a lot of money and try and do the same thing, but with less special effects and do it on a, you know, a 15th of the budget and they did C. Thomas Howe directed the Asylum version of War of the Worlds which came out a month after Spielberg's uh, back in 2005 apparently also C. Thomas Howe is going to have a cameo in The Amazing Spider-Man as a guy who is a construction worker whose son is saved by Andrew Garfield well there you go so watch out for that yes um, filmed oh, sorry didn't catch it in the trailer that's all I'm going to say no, I don't think he's in the trailer no he's not <laughs> he's aged a bit since this um, filmed on a budget of about Five point eight six million dollars and broke even at the box office. But as you no, know, we so it's become a cult film over the years, and you now like a lot of the releases in this entry. But uh, it did have enough in the way of cult success, like you say, to have a, a straight. I think it was a straight-to-video sequel called The Hitcher Two. I'll be waiting. Yes. And then there was a remake of it in two thousand and seven with uh, Sean Bean in the Rutger Hauer role, which was made by <coughs> Junes, which is Michael Bay's production company. It was essentially a chase film with nothing else going on. Whereas this, the original and the best, is really really good so the plot is can i just say sorry, sorry quickly before you hear the plot <clears throat> i do hate these remakes because they make me say oh the original yes the original mm -hmm. uh, you know oh I, I love nightmare on elm street oh the new one no no the original i hate that yeah it's just unnecessary and rubbish and not scary exactly the only recent remake that's been any good in terms of a horror movie is the remake of the crazies and even that wasn't brilliant i haven't even seen that one but no. i'll take your word for it but anyway the, sorry the plot so of the, the hitcher yeah that's all right feel free to interrupt me at any time richard does it all the time so the the plot is c thomas howe plays a guy called jim halsey who is a young man at the beginning of the film he is delivering a car from uh chicago to san diego and he's doing that by driving through the mountain roads in the middle of america and uh, it's in the middle of a horrible thunderstorm you know, there's rain and thunder and lightning all around and he can't really see where he's going. He sees a hitchhiker at the side of the road and offers him a lift and the man, who's played by Rutger Hauer, introduces himself as John Ryder and then, as if by nothing, holds a knife to Jim Halsey's throat saying, the last family who picked me up I killed and I'm going to do the same to you. So Jim Halsey thinks fast, he slams on the brakes and throws Rutger Hauer out of the car and so begins a brutal cat and mouse chase in which he is on the run from both Ryder and from the police who think that he was the one who killed the previous family who picked him up and at one point he runs into a truck stop waitress who's played by jennifer jason lee and she gets caught up in the events and no there is a climax involving a truck shall we'll we leave say. it at that yes we'll leave it at that so um because you said that you'd seen this uh, earlier this week wednesday yes I'm what are your first now. impressions 
very bloody. Very, yes. it doesn't doesn't hold. I mean, considering even for an old film, even for a 1986 film, it, it doesn't hold any punches. You know, because generally they sort of imply there are things still implied in it rather than shown. But it's still a very gruesome film. Yes, uh, I liked it. I did like it. it, it it's it wasn't even though there's quite a lot of plot action. <laughs> I just there. love the way you jump with that. It was a very gruesome film. But I, I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it wasn't, we're going to get along fine. Again, it wasn't too long. Uh, I can't stand when films too long. Um, and it was about it's about 100 minutes, I think, isn't it? Yeah, something along those lines. Uh, and it's got quite a few shifts. It's good. It reminded me quite a bit actually of Duel. Yes. Uh, quite a bit. Steven Spielberg's, you know, theatrical debut, which wasn't actually released theatrically unless, and only in Europe it was, not in America, it was just released on a teaser TV movie, but uh, yes it did, with the whole chase cat and mouse thing, I think, well I think any film like that reminds me of Jewel, because Jewel's just the classic, isn't it? Jewel is very good, and actually I think this was pitched as Jewel with a person. Well there you are. <laughs> so there you go, so yeah. The film is it's interesting for a number of reasons. It does owe something to two very diff interesting trends in horror cinema. On the one hand, there is, well, Duel, obviously, which then leads to Jaws, because Jaws is essentially, you know, it's Duel, but with a shark instead of a truck. Yeah, I and mean, then there's Alien, which is Jaws, except with an alien instead of a <laughs> yeah, shark. Yeah, or Halloween in space, yeah, and all these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you can tie this into Deliverance as well, which, you know, if you, if you haven't, uh, if you've been tuning in since Paul Young and I were doing this show, we talked about Deliverance all the time, because it's really, really great. But it's that idea of, on the one hand, this unrelenting, monster or force of nature from whom there is no escape. It, you know, it seems completely indestructible and the only option is to run. Which you can sort of link back ultimately to Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. And, um, and I mean, it, The Birds is the classic thing of the first time you watch it and you watch the ending you think, oh, come on. Yeah. But then the second time you understand, that, no, they drive off because that's the point. I mean, if you don't want to know the ending of The Birds, then, you know, Sorry if we spoke. Yeah, because it's, you know, you should have watched it by now. Shame on you. Unless you, of course, you... Anyway. Yes, there is talk of remaking it with Naomi Watts, but they, it's, in, it's in development hell, so we won't get it for a few well, years. Well, I hope it's in development hell. I hope it stays there, because there's no need to remake any of his films. Anyway. Yeah, well, of course, they made the mistake, because they remade The Lady Vanishes in the 70s, and it was absolutely terrible. And they remade pretty much Rear Window with Disturbia, and they remade North by Northwest with Eagle Eye, and they were both awful. Yeah, they were. So... So, on the one hand, you have the horror tradition of the unrelenting monster or force of nature, which gives us Jewel and Jaws and Deliverance. On the other hand, you have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and its sequels or derivatives, and not the remakes. Uh, which, you know, it's the idea of, in the American wastelands, coming face to face with nihilism, and there is no backstory, there is no explanation, it just, evil is there, and it just happens to happen. And it's not as remarkable as any of these. I mean, certainly it's not up there with Alien, because very few things are up there with Alien in terms of horror. But I think it is still a very fine piece of work. There are a number of interesting stories about the casting of this film, which sort of, it's one, you, you read sort of stories about at, famous actors who missed out on parts, like Robert De Niro was originally going to play Sonny in The Godfather, and they want, and the fact that Marlon Brando's role in that was originally going to be played by a musical entertainer. Yeah, and Laurence Olivier actually turned it down. Yes, he did, because he thought, I think, was he, did he, he thought he was going to die, and then he ended up living another 20 years. Yeah, because he had cancer, so, and because there's a story about him doing, um, we were talking about the boys from Brazil a few weeks ago, in which mm -hmm. he has to have a fight with Gregory Peck, and both of them are like 60-odd. So you know, it's a case of, no, Laurence Olivier, stuntman, 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 Laurence Olivier, stuntman, 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 yeah. But you know, those sort of stories. The film The Hitcher was written with, in the role of John Ryder, the writer Eric Redd originally envisioned Keith Richards. So for all the talk about Jack Sparrow being based on Keith Richards, this would actually have starred Keith Richards had he accepted, but I think that he was busy with the Stones and so forth. And originally... The writer, Eric Red, wanted him to have uh, a robotic voice, which reminded me of the... There was a great anecdote about Raiders of the Lost Ark. When they were scripting it in the early stages of development, 
Spielberg had wanted Ron Lacey's character, you know, the Gestapo Armand Tot, who's got the uh, the medallion burnt into his yes, hand. Yeah. He originally wanted him to be a cyborg with an art with one arm as a flamethrower, but George Lucas rejected it, saying that it was too far fetched. It sounds like something on Hellboy. Yeah, but you know, in one of George Lucas's few brilliant creative decisions, that was a very, very, very few. Yeah, I mean, lightning must have struck his head to make a good anyway. But yeah, or Spielberg must have bashed him or something. So yeah, Hal was offered the part after David Bowie turned it down because they wanted someone who was quite thin and kind of skeletal. And Bowie was Bowie was at an interesting point in his career because he'd just done Into the Night, the John Landis film, which he's very good. He plays an assassin in that, and I suppose he was trying not to get typecast. typecast. Have you seen him in The Last Temptation of Christ? <laughs> David Bowie's in The Last Temptation of Christ? He plays Pontius Pilate, and he does a very good job of it. I haven't seen it in about three years. No. You should check it out. I mean, he, it's very deadpan, but it's very good um, playing it. It was much more political. Um, so how was off of the part? I mean, he'd been in Hollywood for a couple of years after, sort of, like I say, he'd done Blade Runner, which is, of course, fantastic, and he would, he'd just come off the back of Paul Verhoeven's Flesh and Blood, which was this sprawling, ultra-violent mm. medieval fantasy. I mean, obviously, it's ultra-violent. It's Paul Verhoeven, yes. what do you expect? And he originally turned it down because he didn't want to play any more villains, but then he reread the script and thought, actually, this guy, I can make into something fascinating. And he said, okay, if I'm going to do one more villain in my career, I'll do this. But, of course, if you know Rutger Hauer's career, he's been basically playing lots of villains for plays, the last 20 years. He either plays villains or he just plays not very nice men, as in sort of Batman Begins when he plays an absolute... Yes. An absolute, yes. An absolute unrepeatable. Um, in terms of the other parts, Howell's part was offered first to Tom Cruise and then to Matthew Medine, who turned it down because they were making the films that they would, that would respectively define their careers, because Tom Cruise was making Top Gun and Matthew Medine was in the middle of making Full, Full Metal, Metal Jacket, Jacket, which of course, I mean, he would have been very busy because Full Metal Jacket took 18 months to make. It did. You know, just endlessly crawling through London's Docklands, pretending it was Vietnam. Yes, exactly, yeah. It was a secure film, Full Metal Jacket. It was on TV. I remember my dad was watching. Do you know it's filmed all of it in London? Every single bit of it's in London. It's bizarre. Pain. Yeah, I mean, there are certain shots where you can sort of see the road markings. Of, <laughs> not American, but it's a fantastic film, so I won't complain. Jennifer Jason Leigh got the part because she had worked with Rutger Hauer on Flesh and Blood and really sort of enjoyed their company. I mean, Paul Verhoeven is a very full-on director, and we'll come back to Rutger Hauer when we do the new releases because you know talking about Hobo with a Shotgun, which came out last week. But you no, know, Verhoeven liked working with Rutger Hauer, who turns up in you know, Spedders and Soldier of Orange and so forth. He's a very good, intense presence, so they sort of worked together and enjoyed each other's company. Considering the, the setup, which, you know, leads itself to a lot of gore, and the fact that, you no, know, we're talking about mid-80s horror, so this was around the time of Nightmare on Elm Street with the, the vortex of blood sequence and Hellraiser and scanners where you have people's heads exploding. <laughs> There is, you would expect The Hitcher to be very, very gory and very, very gross at, and there are a couple of moments which are particularly squirm-inducing, like the moment where C. Thomas Howell is at the diner and he orders a plate of chips and he finds a dead man's finger in the middle of the chips. It was originally going to be an eye in a burger yes, rather than a, it was. a finger in the chips. Yeah, but the point is that for the most part, I mean, this is the part where Richard would normally be squirming because he's not the biggest horror fan, the point is that all of the really nasty stuff, all the stuff involving the truck and involving, you know, people getting shot and so forth a lot of that is withheld or implied and you think you see a lot more than you see there was a story about kim newman who's a great horror writer yeah and uh, he does that famous section of uh, video dungeon where he talks about straight to video hell and he was talking about jewel actually quite recently but he said there was a the story about the texas chainsaw massacre which is that the first time you saw texas chainsaw massacre you were really terrified because you thought that you were seeing so much and then you saw it a second time and you thought you were watching a cut version yeah. but in fact the stuff that you thought was there wasn't there in the first place uh, I, I, it was the thing in empire again about the texas chainsaw massacre it did a thing all about all the films including all the remakes 
Yes. Yeah. And I think it was done by the original director talking about each one. Yeah. And he said he was approached when they were doing the remake and said, oh, it's not going to be uh, gory like the original. It's going to be psychological. You know, it's going to be really, really, you know, personal. And then he was like, but the original wasn't actually that gory. And then he watched the remake and it was really gory and it yeah. wasn't psychological at all. It was like the complete opposite. They just don't understand. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's the same idea with Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Alien in the sense that in the end, it's not about or it's about suggestion it's the idea of you're shown a certain amount of the monster although unlike in alien you actually see john Ryder in full rather than just see his hand or his leg or his gun or something like that and then your brain sort of projects and it goes four steps ahead so when the fear eventually catches up if it's done right it, it is really really terrifying and you know there are there are big sort of hitchcockian undertones to the film in this i mean we talked about north by northwest just a second mm -hmm. ago and it, it, it there are similarities with north by northwest i can see them because it is a guy being chased across a landscape by these random things that keep coming in the way and eventually he has to sort of to confront his fear do you know the story about um the ending of north by northwest i do not um originally because it's set on I think, if I'm, if I'm not confusing this with something else, it's set on Mount Rushmore. Yes, and Alfred Hitchcock had originally wanted Cary Grant to hide inside Lincoln's nose and then have a sneezing fit. And that was how the baddies found him. Mm. But they couldn't shoot because they thought it would be disrespectful to the American tradition. Oh. Uh, yeah, so the point is that a lot of it is to do with suggestion. It's a film about the way that violence begets violence and in the end violence just destroys the life of everyone's involved, which is a very common horror trope. It is. Last House on the Left, Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd, of course. I mean, there's that wonderful image in the opening sections of Sweeney Todd where you see uh, the blood sort of mixing with the rainwater and it goes through and ends up in the sewers and it's the idea of a violent act is committed and everyone is contaminated by and that's a very interesting image of showing it. And the idea is that Jim Halsey, the C. Thomas Howell character, is dragged into these circumstances against his will because he just happened to be the guy just who... chance. Yeah, he just happened to be the guy who picked up Rutger Hauer and at the start he does the civil... You know, it's the question of fight or flight. Do you do the civilised thing and you know, actually run away and get the police involved or do you become the animalistic terror that John Ryder is and in fighting him become evil and there is a recurring scene in the film of him pulling out a gun to threaten someone that he never has the guts to fire it and as the film goes on he sort of gains more confidence and eventually ends up with well that really good final scene there is within this the idea of darkness and light coming together and the former consuming the latter I mean Halsey character sort of flips in the film between being a victim whenever he runs into Ryder and being a felon because like I say the police constantly think yeah. that it's him who's done the murders and he's the one who's got the secrets to hide and he's the one that's the real threat to society and he does lurch from seeming as ruthless as Ryder to being quite pathetic and helpless and it's you no know, it's you no know, Ryder's influence on him becomes more marked culminating, and if you don't want to know the ending of The Hitcher and you want to see this, then just fade down for 30 seconds. It culminates in the final shootout, which is, you know, he finally confronts Rutger Hauer and has the guts to actually blow him away with a shotgun. But the point is that it's not a victory. It's actually a Pyrrhic victory, because in shooting him, he has become and it, Rutger Hauer. down to his level, that's what the ending is, the end it, shot. Exactly. Of. And, uh, you know, there's the end ending shot, which is exactly what you describe it. It's him standing in, in silhouette, lighting a cigarette. Looking a little bit like Rutger Hauer. Yeah, more than a little bit, yeah. I mean, I've, and that, actually, if, if you've seen Seven, that ending is almost lifted straight from The Hitcher, because it's the idea of, in taking out a great evil, you become a great evil, mm -hmm. and in the case of Brad Pitt's character, he becomes completely catatonic. Interesting fact about Seven. Yes. With the was it an ending that they filmed, which I actually quite like the sound of, which is, of course, well, I'm going to assume that our listeners have seen Seven, yeah, the climax, the 
to just show down. What happens is Morgan Freeman ends up shooting Kevin Spacey, and then Brad Pitt says, what the hell are you doing? And he goes, I'm retiring. And then he puts his hands out to get cuffed, because of course he's retiring anyway, which I thought was quite interesting. Probably wouldn't have worked, but it's an interesting idea to change it. I thought that was quite a good idea. But of course, like, the first studio first said, no, Brad Pitt's not shooting him, it's not happening. And they're, they're basically, Brad Pitt, who, who was at the time really hot stuff, said, no, I'm not doing it. You're not releasing it if that's happening. I've, I've, he had final cut rather than David Fincher. Yeah. And of course, David Fincher, that was his first film after the debacle of Alien. So he didn't have final cut, but yeah, Brad Pitt although did. I think Alien 3 is actually quite underrated in neither of its cuts. Um, Back so, to the hitcher. Yeah, um, it's unbelievably tense. And I, I guess you would have picked up at least on some. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, I mean, I watched it on my laptop, and it wasn't really. So of course, you don't really get that sort of thing. But if you, it, it, it's not, I wouldn't say it's actually scarier film. Really, there aren't that many moments when I was kind of like getting heart palpitation or anything. But it's a, a film with a mood and a film with a very sort of very oppressive kind of mood, exactly. and you're getting chased and you're getting hunted down. But it's not really. There aren't that many full-blown scares in it. I wouldn't say it, it's it's very edgy. I mean, the thing about it is for me is that. The opening encounter with Howard is so completely out of nowhere mm -hmm. that it creates this air of paranoia where you expect him to sort of jump out of the landscape at, at any, any time and you're sort of constantly looking around there's a wonderful sequence in the motel room when uh, Jennifer Jason Lee has been left to sleep off a lot of her sort of ordeal and uh, Thomas Sills, he Thomas Sills gone looking for food and there is a sort of light kind of going past the motel of cars and it kind of pans around the room and then it lights up on Rutger Hauer standing just very silently in the corner and you think okay she's dead yeah. <laughs> it's just that incredible sense of fear and this brings us on to I mean you said there weren't many scary moments but this for me is the most frightening which is the truck scene where mm. again if you don't want to know turn harrowing off, rather it's it is it's harrowing but uh, it, it's one of the reasons the film holds a special place in my heart that the setup it is that jennifer jason lee in that scene afterwards has been handcuffed to a wall and the other end of her has been tied to a truck and rudger Hauer's in the truck with his foot on the clutch and the idea is if he puts his foot down and drives off she's going to be effectively torn in two and c thomas howell is sent into the cab of the truck to negotiate with him because the police can't he won't talk to the police mm -hmm. he won't talk to anyone else and rudger Hauer gives him a handgun and says you know, point it between my eyes and pull the trigger and puts it between his eyes but yeah. he can't pull the trigger he says oh you're pathetic puts his foot down and then there are screams involved mm -hmm. but the reason it holds a special place in my heart is that i first saw the hitch on late night tv and on a commercial channel and we got to that scene and i was so into the film and then it got to the bit just after he put his foot down and it went to a break, a break. and i involuntarily shouted you can't stop it there yeah i know and I then know. remembered it was half past one in the morning and probably woke up half my street but yeah. no, it's that that brilliant sensation of the film taking you so far into the other world that you'll forget that you're actually in reality That's itself true. and you know, there are very few films that that manage that. So in terms of the performances, I think Rutger Hauer is really great. I mean, apparently he was in character all the time, so T. Thomas Howe was genuinely afraid of him. And uh, I can dig that. I can dig that. Yeah, I mean, if you look back at his back catalogue, I mean, all his work with Paul Verhoeven, so Spet as Soldier of Orange, Fresh and Blood. I mean, not always when he's playing the villain, yeah. but he does have this sort of this unusual screen presence, which is that he's very threatening, but he's also incredibly charming. And he yes, no, yeah, I, absolutely. That, that's that, hit, hit the nail on the head there. That's that's what he does. He's just still quite yeah well, that's pretty much it he's just very very threatening and very very sort of he unnerves you slightly but he's still very kind of suave about it you yes. know he, 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 that's just his i think that's a, he's a bit of a character actor really that is his character generally in most films I yeah would say. and also if you haven't seen lady hawk which is a medieval fantasy with michelle pfeiffer where directed by the guy who made superman go and see him in that because he's very very good and apparently 
this is a rumour, he has been cast as Van Helsing in Dracula 3D, which is the new film from Dario Argento. Before you start talking about the 3D, if anyone could do anything with it, it's Dario Argento, because he's a big fan of the original 3D, even as like Flesh for Frankenstein. So, to sum it up, there, it's good, solid, low-budget stuff. There are things wrong with the hitch. I mean, I think it's ever so slightly too long, because some of the car chases go on a bit, and it mm -hmm. does get repetitive. And now some of the acting's wooden, but it's kind of enjoyably B-movie wooden, and there are, there are little silly things, like sections where um, I think Rutger in one of the car chases brings down a helicopter with a single bullet from a handgun, mm -hmm. which if you know anything about these things, is impossible. Well, uh, very incredibly unlikely, but yes, yeah, I yeah, see your point. For those little moments where you just think oh, it sort of takes you out of the mood, and obviously it's not as well directed as Jewel because no, Robert Harmon for all his skill is not Steven Spielberg. No. So, it's not a masterpiece, it's not as good as Jewel, but it is very good, and if you want late night scares, it's the place to start. Um, I was going to say, actually, just a little thing about, you're talking about actors not being very good. Yes. Just a little quick point. I, I have to say, I was like, going into an argument about Nicolas Cage with some friends. They were all lambasting him, saying how rubbish an actor he is. Okay, was Arnold Schwarzenegger a good actor? It depends who he was working with. Generally. Was he a good actor? No, he, he wasn't. He was a half-decent actor. He was pretty poor, with the German accent and everything like that. Austrian. But the thing is, Austrian, yes. whatever, the thing is, he had a charisma that was watchable. I mean, like, the whole Predator thing. He's, I mean, he's, he's awful. He's just like, you know, stuck around. He's, he's dreadful. But it's just, it, there's something charisma about him which is great to watch. And I think the same stands for Nicolas Cage. I think the same stands for B-movie actors generally in, in yeah. B-movie films. It's just like, it, it doesn't really matter. They st still have that certain, kind of fits in with the aesthetics. It's just, it's just there. Yeah, I mean, in the case of Nicolas Cage, it, and I'm on Schwarzenegger, it's a, it's a case of getting a director who understands them. Because a lot of Nicolas Cage's stuff is him just turning up with weird hair and being wood. But if you look at his work with David Lynch or Mike Figgis or so forth, they're directors... Or Bad Lieutenant with Werner Herzog, yes. which he is astounding Yeah, in. but that's the thing about... I mean, in the case of Wild at Heart, which in many ways is the definitive Nicolas Cage performance, in which it's massively over the top, but it makes sense. It works, yeah. Because it's hysterical. I history. saw that at the time, Ted, actually, just a couple... about a year ago, and it really, actually, I really quite liked it. I didn't expect to because I'm not it's, a huge David Lynch fan. No, yeah, I mean, Wild at Heart's bonkers as hell, but it's in a, the best possible way. And I was never able to look at Willem Dafoe the same. This is the fresh sound for the district. Live from Alec, this is Lionheart Radio. That was Red Hot Chili Peppers with Universally Speaking, of course, from their album by the way. Now, we're going to have, we, we were going to be quite rushed and do a countdown of the new releases, but I've just been learnt Daniel will stay around until after the news so we can go into more detail, because no doubt, with two of us film buffs like ourselves, we'll end up getting to a big one about every single, we'll end up talking ten minutes about every single release. Well, yeah, when we, we obviously won't deliberately bore the list. No, we'll try not to. We'll do our best, but yeah. we, just, we just get sidetracked, don't we? Before we do get sidetracked, um, next week's cult film is going to be John Landis' American Werewolf in London, so oh. tune in for that. that terrific. Yeah. Yeah, I must say, you sound like a horror man. Well, horror and science fiction is my, they're my metier. If yeah, you I, I must admit that when it comes to cult films, I'm just really sick of just seeing, you know, Donnie Darko, Fight Club. They're not really cult. They're so mainstream cult, but not really that cult, are they? It's just like, they're so out there, you don't really get the sort of the cult cult films, which are like the Hitcher and like... Yeah, well, you know, this is the place to look if you want proper cult films. Proper cult films. And, if, you know, and certainly, you know, based upon what we were talking about earlier, go and watch Spetters if you haven't already, and that's a very full-on early work from Paul Verhoeven involving, you no know, rampant amounts of nudity in Holland. Uh, is what, really? Paul Verhoeven? Rampant nudity? Yes, And never. violence? I'm surprised. Now, Right. It's not much violence, just a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's not like Hollow Man. Oh, no, that's what Hollow Man. He did Starship Troopers. 
Yes, he did. He's quite good. He's actually. a very good director. And to actually, just quickly speaking of Starship Troopers, I watched it seriously and hated it. Like when I was quite young, like about ten years old, I didn't get all the satire. Yeah. Then I watched it again when I was like fifteen, and I absolutely loved it. I, it's, it's honest in, my, in terms of like action films, even though it's not really it's, it's a satire. It's in my top ten. It's just awesome. It's terrific. Yeah, best quote ever about Paul Verhoeven: watching one of his films is like peeling an onion while wearing boxing gloves. Lots of pungent layers <laughs> to get through, but there is something at the middle of it all. <laughs> I like that, I like that analogy. Right, with five minutes left of the news, we'll have time for uh, probably two new releases. Right. And we'll start off with Cars 2. Cars 2, um, latest from Pixar, directed by John Lasseter, who made Toy Story 1 and 2, and also directed the first Cars. And the story is that Lightning McQueen, who's played by Owen Wilson, because the story is, you no, know, it's set in a world where there's no people, only cars. And you have this racing car called Lightning McQueen, played by Owen Wilson, who returns to the town of Radiator Springs, which he, of course, went to in the first film. He visits his old friend, played by Larry the Cable Guy. <sighs> which is always bad news, uh, in place of a truck called Mater, and uh, the plot's a bit complicated, certainly for a Pixar movie, because you know, it involves this, this Grand Prix that they're going to race that he's been challenged to do in Italy, but there's a strange strange thing going on with an eco-fuel which has been pioneered by Michael Caine's character who lives on an oil rig, and there's international espionage involved, and yada, 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 yada. Um, this is notable for the fact that it's the first Pixar film I can remember to have received mixed or negative reviews. Yeah, yeah it's got rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Which is, I mean, highly unusual, and it hasn't done anything like as well as, it ha as people would have expected in America. And a lot of people who have been criticising Pixar for a long time, you know, saying, oh, they can't put a foot wrong, have sort of leapt on this as the point where, right, the ship's sinking, they jump the shark, and now it's all going to go wrong. I think it, uh, I, I was listening to, uh, listening to, uh, reading an article all about Cars 2, where it's purely, they, honestly, they made it from a merchandise point of view, because apparently, like, 90% of their merchandise sold is Cars stuff, because, you know, kids love Cars, and, yeah. and if you have, it's like, with, with you taking the espionage angle, there'll be helicopters, there'll be trucks, there'll be all this there'll sort be of stuff. Boats, probably. So if they have to have Cars 2 to have a masterpiece such as Wally, I'd accept it. It's fine because Wally is in my top five all time. Wally is is sublime. I agree with you. Uh, but Cars 2 apparently is not. Yeah, I mean the point being that although Pixar have this reputation for being you know nearest damn it perfect every time, I actually think that they've been they've been hit and miss because on the one hand there's the very very good stuff which is Toy Story one two and three Stay with me Monsters Inc Wally of course which is absolutely brilliant. But I was never a fan of The Incredibles. Oh, well, you see, that's where we disagree. I, I think there's been hit and miss in the, the first cast film was average, the second cast film is bad, and other than that, they've been Ratatouille really quite good. Ratatouille is completely uh, innocuous. It looks like it's been test screened. I, I don't dislike Ratatouille, but I don't love it as much as, say, Wally. I just, I just love Wally. They all pale in comparison to Wally. Up was good. Up had that, that like, opening 10-minute, like, not 10-minute, even 5-minute montage, yeah. which was just 5 minutes of probably the best filmmaking I've seen animated. It was just sublime. Yes. It's just like, um, but in the end, we got a bit kind of carried away with itself by the end. Uh, but Wally, like I said, is tremendous. But unfortunately, we'll go back to the point, Cars 2 is not. Yeah, the point is that, I mean... It's a big disappointment. I have no doubt that younger children will find the visuals captivating, but the point is, it is every bit as forgettable as Ratatouille, and it is, like you say, a totally unnecessary sequel, because Cars, the first time around, it was all about the visuals rather than the story or the characters, which was unusual for a Pixar film, and you sort of let Cars 1 get away with it, because some of the designs were interesting, and it's John Lasseter, who is a genius, and he's also the guy who's responsible for, well, the English language version, the English dubbed version of Spirited Away and, and all these yeah. films. Yes. And um, we have him to thank for that. And we have, and also in about cars is it's got Paul Newman in, and Paul Newman plays the old guy, and he's yeah. terrific in it. He's really yeah. quite good. Yeah, I mean, I, I see Paul Newman in almost anything. Have you seen him in The Sting? 
with Robert Redford. I haven't actually seen that much Paul Newman like original stuff. I'm afraid I've seen sort of his, his, his modern stuff, but in terms of the Sting and things, no, I'm afraid I haven't. Yeah, I mean the, the ones you need to see from his classic period. It's no Butch Cassidy, obviously. I've seen yeah, Color of Money yeah. as well. I've seen you know Color of Money, The Sting, and um, The Hustler, which is the prequel to The Color of Money, which is arguably a better film because it hasn't got Tom Cruise in. Steady on Tom Cruise. He's all right. Magnolia. I've got I've got massive love for Magnolia. Eyes Wide Shut is very good as well. So yeah, Cars 2, it's disappointing, it's it's not terrible by any means, it's just overly convoluted and it's, it is, it's merchandise driven rather than story driven, which yes. is never a good thing. And there is a trailer out for Pixar's next film, Brave, which, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen actually. Sc it's in Scotland. Right. In Scotland, um, like it's the first one. Like, is the second? Is there going to be a sequel called Heart? I've, I've got no idea. Uh, I don't know. It's actually called Brave, but this uh, the trailer about one minute, like a little teaser, is online uh, to see with. And there's also a trailer for Brad Bird, who used to work for Pixar, him directing Mission Impossible Four online. Uh, it's called Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I'm not a big fan of the trailer mainly because it features Eminem in the background. And there's also a trailer for Andrew Stanton's directed, who also started with Pixar, and now he's working with live action. John Carter of Mars, which I haven't actually seen the trailer for. Yeah, John Carter of Mars sounds interesting because it's got Samantha Morton in, and she's a very good actress. She's a terrific actress. She's great in Manage Report, and she's great in Synecdoche, New York. Yeah, she's great in almost anything, even if it's Harmony Corinne's Mr. Lonely, which is one of the worst films of the last ten years. This is the fresh sound for the district. Live from Annick. This is Lionheart Radio. Hello, this is the movie hour and a bit with me and myself and Mr. Daniel Mumby. Me and myself and Daniel. So Mumby. me and Daniel, Mr. Daniel. It's like Mumby. the Joan Armour trading song. <laughs> me myself, I. Oh, it's, it's like the uh, Farrelly Brothers film. Me myself and Irene. Ah, oh, very good link. Um, it takes us back to films. Very it nice. Takes us back to films. It does indeed. And we're going to start with. We've had a new release. We've talked about uh, Cars Two. It's now time for which I saw yesterday. Beginners. Give okay. us a synopsis. Okay, uh, new film by Mike Mills, not the bass player from R.E.M., but the American <laughs> filmmaker who who has uh, previous work was Thumbsucker, which wasn't very widely seen in this uh, country, but it was quite good in America. So the story is that you have a young man called, well, youngish man uh, called Oliver, who's played by Ewan McGregor. Who Swoon. Yes, he's an attractive both, man. We're both fans of Ewan McGregor, and he doesn't seem to have aged in 15 odd years. No, no, no. Still as funny and as charming as ever, as evidence on The Graham Norton Show, and he's good in Beginners. But anyway, go yes, on. Yes, he is. So, uh, he's a middle-aged man whose father, Hal, played by the evergreen Christopher Plummer, who of course is in Sound of Music, uh, has recently died, and he meets a vivacious, playful young woman called Anna, who's played by Melanie Naran, who is in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious. Ahem. <laughs> yes. So True. they begin a relationship, and as the relationship plays out, he remembers things about his father, chief of which is that after 44 years years of being married, at the age of 75, he announced that he was gay and spent the remaining years of his life going through gay clubs and kind of, you know, living the gay lifestyle and being himself for once. Always a there's always a risk with independent films that they will be overly sort of kooky or quirky or deliberately offbeat, and I think that that was one of your complaints about it when you saw it. It, it was. It, it's very sort of twee. It's, it still has its laughs and it's funny, but it's sort of butter wouldn't melt kind of kookiness inside of it. That's like, oh, you know, that's the real heart of humanity, is that sort of... and. But I still didn't mind it. I mean, like, it's called Beginners because, of course, he's like uh, his dad is like beginning as a, a sort of as, as being gay, really, and he's sort of beginning again with a new relationship and he's trying everything new and stuff. So they both feel like they kind of they don't really know what's going on himself and his father. Uh, the Christopher Plummer and Hugh McGregor are great. They both are. They're consistently yes. really good. Uh, I don't think I've seen uh, well. I don't think I've seen Christopher Plummer anyway in anything bad. I kept meaning to see The Last Station when he plays Tolstoy, but I missed it. Uh, unfortunately, I wanted to see it because I like uh, Christopher Plummer, even though I don't like Sound of Music, even though I haven't seen Sound of Music. Do you know the great story about him and the Sound of Music? I don't. Um, there was a, Stephen Fry was going to be working with him, I think it was at a BBC drama, and they were you know, meeting, he was going to meet him in the BBC bar. And uh, he got met by the researcher who said, okay, now Christopher Plummer's waiting in the bar, but here's the thing, 
don't talk about sound of music because you know, everyone talks about sound of music and he really hates talking about it so Stephen Fry was you know, going into the bar trepidation saying no don't mention sound of music don't mention sound of music goes around the corner Christopher Plummer is sitting at the piano playing Edelweiss and singing <laughs> along he's like, oh thank goodness he's alright yeah, um, yeah I understand did you see the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus I did and it was distinctly average but he was still quite yeah, good in it it's not that good but he is very good in it so yeah I mean I think that like I said, there is a risk with independent cinema that it will just go too kooky for its own good. It and doesn't do that, though. It yeah, it, it is. The point is, it's very good. I mean, it's not in the school of stuff like Little Miss Sunshine, in which the only appeal is the quirkiness of the family. And you know? Juno. Yeah, the, well, Juno is quite good because of Ellen Page's performance. It's too kooky for me, though, again. Like, I, 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 I watched, this is with Juno, it didn't happen with Beginners, which is a recommendation. Juno, I watched it and thinking, I don't like any of these characters. I all think they're all really annoying and sort of just, just you know, just kooky and arty and yeah. it's really I mean, a lot of that is you no know, depends on your attitude towards Diablo Cody who is incredibly you know, distinctive in her screenplay. Uh, well, distinctive meaning since Juno she's made rubbish. No, Jennifer's body's alright actually. I don't like I it. But then again I don't like Jennifer no, Megan, Megan Fox, Fox but we yeah, will but yeah. So yeah, in terms of beginners, I think that it's you know, it's it's good, it's not brilliant. And there is a there is a comparison with Tim Burton's Big Fish because that's you know, the I idea of well, not just because of Ewan McGregor who was also great in Big Fish, but it's the idea of a son sort of reliving and being part of his father's memories and in understanding his father's memories, you know, in the case of Big Fish, it's Albert Finney. He sort of, he sort of takes on a new identity of his own because in the case of Big Fish, mm -hmm. it's understanding that, you know, life is not all about facts and being serious and it doesn't matter sometimes if the stories aren't true because it's the fact that they're stories that's the meaningful part. And no, I think that Ewan McGregor's really good. I mean, we both like him in The Ghostwriter, the Roman Polanski film. The Roman Polanski film, which no one really actually saw, didn't do that well. Of course, it was kind of overshadowed by the whole... Um, the whole Polanski thing. The whole Polanski which thing. Which we talk about for ages and ages. We but. could and debate it and, you know, but the fact is that he made Ghostwriter and he edited it and it released it and it is tremendous. It's a really good thriller. It's, it's, it's you know, it's just quite, it's not taut, I wouldn't say, because it's still about two hours long. But it's political, it's got intrigue, Hugh McGregor's terrific in it, Pierce Brosnan's even good in it, Kim yes. Cattrall doesn't ruin it, which is a surprise. Yes. Uh, and it's good. Uh, Ghostwriter, I really, because I love Hugh McGregor, I do, um, I think he's, even though he has starred in some guff. Yeah. Uh, along, along his years, uh, like, it's sort of like, you know, the Star Wars ones and the island and things. Yes. He's still, when he, when he, and the chips are down, he's still a very good actor. Yeah, and he, he has often been let down by the scripts of the director rather than by his performance. And I think that in terms of this and the Ghostwriter, he is starting to get back to the kind of form that he was in about. 10 years ago when he was doing Big Fish in Moulin Rouge which really yes, is and train spotting yeah I mean that was obviously slightly earlier but 1996 oh god I feel old yeah and there's, there's still talk of them making the sequel to train spotting but, but he doesn't want to be involved he, him and Danny Boyle have fallen out because of the yeah, whole thing with the yeah, because they cast Leonardo DiCaprio in the beach and sort of strung him along a bit and yes. it didn't seem very fair. So yeah, Beginners is a recommendation. I should say in advance, it's film of the week. And no, it's playing at the time side. It's going it to be, it'll be out for a couple of weeks and no, you should, you should catch it. It's not going to be brilliant, but it will be good, honest fun. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty good. And it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't try too much to have a message at the end of it. It's quite funny. It's quite charming, really, despite the fact that it's quite kooky and that could be annoying to some. It's good. And it's good. Go ahead. It is. It's good. Uh, uh, next, we have Horrible Bosses, which is a one I want want to see because I love the director even though I hate the director this is I'm going to go here director Seth Gordon directed possibly one of the greatest documentaries of the noughties with the king of Kong a fistful of quarters that is good have you seen it yeah it's, bits of it but uh, he it, also made it's only 80 minutes long how can you have not seen all of it it's so good anyway the first 20 minutes then my computer broke ah, so because uh, it's all available on YouTube actually officially as well so yes. you can watch it and it is terrific it, I absolutely love the king of Kong uh, and then he made four Christmases but it didn't actually see because I didn't even know he directed it it just it's looked dreadful. awful Yes. Uh, but Horrible Bosses looks like it could be a slight return to form and I do like the cast. 
So, yeah, it's a horrible bosses. The story is that you have uh, three men played by Jason Bateman, uh, Jason Sudeikis and Charlie Day, or as Jennifer Aniston referred to them, Jason, Jason and Charlie. In that way that she does. Charlie. No, follow the unicorn, Charlie. <laughs> no, <laughs> let's, let's not go there. Charlie, no, let's not. <laughs> so they all have horrible bosses, one of whom is a psycho, played by Kevin Spacey, one of whom is a man-eater or nympho, that's on the poster, played by Jennifer Aniston, and one of whom is a tool, played by Colin Farrell. They decide that they <laughs> want to get rid of them, and they enlist an ex-con, played by Jamie Foxx, to help them out. First off, there's a basic casting issue. I mean, I believe that Kevin Spacey is a psycho. I mean, we were talking about Seven earlier. I mean, he does, yes, he he does he that very, off. very well. I mean, Although not quite on the same level of psychoness, but yes, I agree. Yeah. And I also believe you know, that Colin Farrell is a tool, because, you know, if you've seen In Bruges or Miami Vice, in which he plays the stupid one, yeah. he can do that sort of obnoxious stuff very well. And he's got the Tom Cruise Tropic Thunder wig on. Yes, he does, actually. But Jennifer Aniston is a nymphomaniac? I'm not so sure I believe in that. No, I'm not, she's been typecast as the, you know, kooky sort of, you know, it's like, like along came Polly and things, sort of free burning going, not really, not really the nympho. I mean, she is essentially a dolled up piece of wood, aside yes. from anything else. So, that's the first big problem. The, the other problem is that the plot is from two different films. Because on the one hand, you've got the plot about sort of employees wanting to bump off someone they don't want, which is from, well, all sorts of things. But there is, like I mentioned earlier, a comedy from the late 90s called Very Bad Things, which is the forerunner of The Hangover, where Christian Slater goes to a stag party in America, in Las Vegas and, you no. Know, a prostitute ends up getting killed with a coat hanger and then it all goes downhill from there and it ends up with him getting his legs broken and now that the point about that was that it was a very misjudged film but at least it was sort of scabrous enough to make it memorable whereas mm -hmm. you now the hangover in this it, it's just a bit of bawdy running around and you know speeding in a prius if you've seen the trailer, yes, and, you know, seen it's, the trailer. it's not particularly so there's that stuff on the other hand there's the film about the employees sort of getting back at the bosses in a way in a sort of way that portrays the bosses as being sort of misogynist and nasty which is that which comes from from the Jane Fonda comedy 9 to 5 from the 1980s, in which it's Jane Fonda and Dolly Parton in a, actually a half-decent screen role, in which they're playing, I think, three typists in an American office, and their boss is really nasty and sexist, and they sort of, they conspire over the film to get back at him, and eventually they send him off to the Brazilian jungle to work in their sort of, their Latin American department, and mm -hmm. they take over the office, and that's a really smart, funny woman's comedy. You know, if you like Bridesmaids, you'll like 9 to 5 very much, even though it has dated a bit. The other problem on a personal level that I have with it, is that it depicts molestation as comic. Because mm -hmm. there is a sequence in it, uh, if you've seen the, the trailer, trailer again, I've, where she, like, where makes she, someone pass out. Where and it makes someone pass out, and then the sequence where she, because she works as a dentist, and she uh, sprays um, the sort of the water solution that they use to clean people's teeth onto Jason, ba Jason Cro Bateman's crotch. No, no, it's Charlie Day's crotch. Charlie Day's crotch, and then says, oh, I'm a squirter. And you just think, yeah, 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 erring on the side of, it's, it could be funny, but you're erring on the side of just disgust, really, with the yeah. jokes like that. I mean, the point is that, no, first off, in order for that joke to work, you need the, f you need the actress to be someone who's actually threatening, like, you know, Carrie Ann Moss or Catherine Deneuve when she was younger. So, no, a woman who men could genuinely fear, rather than someone you're meant to be attracted to, because that completely undercuts the joke. It was with someone you should be attracted to, but scared of. Like, I, th I thought when I watched the trailer, someone like Monica Bellucci, someone quite voluptuous. Yes, that is quite, a very good comparison. And so, someone who's, like, just sort of in control of themselves because she just seems like almost she's doing it sort of innocently and now and that's not really that scary if she's just kind of just doing it and it's an annoyance you yeah. want it to be kind of more more but anyway yeah i mean monica bellucci's the best thing about the brothers grim you know at the moment when her face explodes into hundreds of mirrored shards and that's yeah. very good um but also i mean have you seen 40 days and 40 nights <sighs> that's the harrison ford one isn't it no it's not when they get trapped on a beach no mm. 
I'm wrong. No. 40 Days and 40 Nights, it's a comedy with Josh Hartnett, who's a, a Christian guy, and he decides that after the end of a bad relationship that he's going to give up sex for Lent, and he gets pursued by... It's, it's a sort of love triangle, because he's being pursued by his ex-girlfriend, played by Vanessa Shaw, while he's trying to fall in love with this other woman, played by the girl out of A Knight's Tale, Shannon Sossaman, I think her name is. Yes. And he wants to fall in love with her, but he can't have sex with her because he's made this vow. And there is a very uncomfortable scene in which... They're taking bets as to how long Josh Hartnett's going to last in terms of keeping his vow. And on the last day of the bet, Vanessa Shaw puts down this massive bet. And then there's a, there is a dream sequence of Josh Hartnett dreaming about making love to Shannon Sossman, in cut, which cuts back and forth between Vanessa Shaw doing it with him while he sleeps. Right. And the first time you watch it, you think, oh, it's meant to be funny. But then you think... No, actually, it's not, because you know what? It is rape. And yeah, I'm it's... not entirely convinced that you've got your head screwed on. Yeah. And it's that same sort of... I know you want this to be funny, and you think it's cleverer than you think it is, but it's not clever. It's just a bit distasteful. Yeah, I mean, it's not the worst film. I and mean, there are odd laughs in the trailer, because I did laugh a couple of times, yeah. but it's just a bit misjudged, and it doesn't have the strength of its conviction. It has the bunk from The Wire, yes. where Wendell Pierce playing at the cop. You know, I think it's going to be typecast forever now, unfortunately, because uh, I'm a huge fan of The Wire. It's also got like, another guy from The Wire who plays Cutty, who's great in The Wire as well. Anyway, yeah. I digress. So it's not terrible, but it just doesn't have the strength of its convictions, and it it's could not be a, funny. could be funnier, it's... yeah. It could be funnier. Yes, exactly. Uh, we have The Violent Kind. Uh, we'll skip through this one quite quickly. Um, if you were listening last week when we reviewed Hobo with a Shotgun, which is Rutger Hauer's, um, well, he plays B Hobo with a Shotgun, sort of, you know, homage to exploitation B-movies. This is more of the same. The story is that there's a bunch of bikers who have committed a crime and are laying low. They're on their way to a bikers' convention in Oakland. One night they encounter the spirits of dead bikers in the woods and then it all goes a bit Evil Dead, and then they're not quite as good as the Evil Dead. <laughs> in the case of Hobo with a Shotgun, there was some pleasure in the fact that, no, it's like the snakes on a plane thing. The whole thing about snakes on a plane was Samuel Jackson going around saying, I'm sick of these snakes on a plane, plane. Uh, to sort of edit myself out. And there is, you no, know, the pleasure of Hobo with a shotgun was, it's Rudger Hauer as a hobo with a shotgun. That's it. And you know, there's old-fashioned special effects. This, on the other hand, is just, it's tripe, because, you know, it's very badly acted. It's unoriginal, because it's essentially the evil dead meets the wild one, because you've got, you no know, bikers, spirits coming mm. back, and also that's the fog, although the fog isn't that good. And... The problem with a lot of this is that it wants, in the same way as Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez when they made the Grindhouse Project of Planet Terror and Death Proof, there's this idea of, yes, on the one hand we're playing homage to all these exploitation films, but on the, one that, on the other hand we're completely above this and we want this to be art as well. And you can't have it both ways. You either do the straightforward, slightly sleazy, slightly seedy exploitation film and just as it is. Machete. Yes, or you actually do the slightly pretentious thing of death proof and say, you know, actually I'm an artist and I can use all these these strange devices and actually pass it off as art and do the thing that John Borman did for most of his career, which is taking something which he saw as trash and doing something which he thought was art, but then you get films like Zardoz, which is just Sean Connery walking around in a nappy for two hours. And, yeah, so... Talking of homages, actually, we will discuss a little bit, even though it's not out yet, it's out next week, we'll discuss briefly uh, Super 8. Uh, that, that, that looks yeah, if we have time, we'll homage. Super we, if we have time, sorry. Yeah, so The Violent Kind, it's not very good, and it'll be on DVD. I think it's coming out on DVD on Monday, actually, so there's no point seeing it in cinemas. Well, don't say that, but it's not very good, but yeah, I, I, you know, if, if it was good, I would still say there's point seeing it, because... Yeah, if, if it's good, see it in cinemas, but no, it's not. the point is, if you don't, if it's not that good, you don't need to rush out. Uh, we also have, do we have the Break My Fall, do we have that, or the One Life, I'm not sure these... The are... Big Picture is the one we'll do, because... Sorry, those, The Big are, Picture, sorry. Because yeah, those two are, the other two that you mentioned are just getting limited release in London, and One Life is a documentary narrated by Daniel Craig, which is, I think, it's not that... Uh, interesting. So the big picture, which is uh, a French thriller directed by Eric Latigo, 
uh, starring Roman Juris, who was the guy in The Beat That My Heart Skipped. He was also in Heartbreaker more recently, you know, slightly, you know, slightly disheveled, slightly, you know, ruffled hair, and this good French actor, co-starring Catherine Deneuve, who mm. is very special for me, of course, because when she was a young woman, she starred in Roman Polanski's Repulsion, <laughs> which is a deeply unsettling film. Oh, God. Yeah, you've seen Repulsion. I've seen Repulsion. Were yeah. you freaked out by the moment when the guy comes in the mirror? I was freaked out by, if not the whole film, but certainly that moment. The film is not again it's harrowing a very very harrowing thing it's, it's it's scary how much of the you could you think the of course Roman Polanski we talked about it before and just how much of it might be coming out in, in repulsion and that kind of yeah and also the moment where the hands come through the wall which is very creepy so yeah in the the story of the big picture is you have a man who has absolutely everything he's got a wife he's got children he's got a great job he's about to be promoted and a Catherine Deneuve in the trailer says I want you to take over the firm Goodness knows what the firm is. But one day he discovers, however, that his wife has been having an affair behind his back, and in a fit of rage, and fit of jealous rage, he kills her lover and goes into hiding, leaving the family behind. And there is a twist in which he assumes the identity of the dead man to sort of escape abroad and become a photographer. Now, obviously, with that setup, the thing that comes to mind is the passenger. Oh yeah, yeah, which no, the Michelangelo Antonioni film. No, Jack Nicholson is the is the is the the photojournalist in uh, I think it's Africa who decides that he's had enough and he impersonates a dead man to escape and then he becomes involved against his will in in uh, arms dealing and that's a very interesting film. No, very very slow but very interesting. And we're at a point where there's a lot of French thrillers coming out about the idea of ordinary people being thrown into ordinary into extraordinary circumstances where it revolves around a married relationship because a couple of years ago we had anything for her which was remade as the next three days by paul haggis recently we had point blank earlier this year which not the john borman point blank but nowhere a guy's got to smuggle a criminal out of a hospital or otherwise his kidnapped wife will be killed and now we've got this i think it looks okay i think it's you know, stylishly directed obviously it's not up there with a the passenger which for me is one of the definitive man on the run existential thrillers of the 1970s but it, it's well made enough and it's it'll be worth seeing there you are and that's that's it isn't it that's our new releases well there's one other thing i want to mention briefly when I mean, it's not on um rotten tomatoes because it's only getting limited release but the lavender hill mob is being re-released in selected cinemas which if you haven't seen it is one of the best of the ealing comedies of the 1940s and 50s i haven't seen it uh, the story being um alec guinness plays um he plays a, a sort of bookish bank clerk who's in charge of gold bullion at the, the branch of the bank that he's in and he's he's been plotting for ages and ages to try and smuggle the gold out and uh, make a killing and then he runs into a guy who's who's his work is to manufacture paperweights in the shape of the Eiffel Tower so they kind of put two and two together break into the bank smuggle the gold up melt it down and make it into models of the Eiffel Tower but then obviously they lose some of it and they have to go to Paris to get it back and it all goes wrong it's the famous one of there's a, a sequence where they're there's a girl in an, who has got one of the last Eiffel Towers made of gold and uh, they have to sort of track them down and get them all together because otherwise the police will find out and they'll mm -hmm. get arrested. And while she's going down the lift in the Eiffel Tower, they're running down the spiral staircase and because of the fact that, you no, know, the vertigo, they're, they're going into hysterical laughter and they start falling over and it's a very well-made scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not the darkest of the Ealing entries. I mean, it's not up there with the Lady Killers or Kind Hearts and Coronets in which Alec Guinness famously plays all eight members of an aristocratic family <laughs> and does it absolutely brilliantly. And Kind Hearts and Coronets, for me is one of the greatest films of the 40s right up there with Citizen Kane and Matter of Life and Death yeah that's up there as well I mean yeah. obviously that's not an Ealing comedy but that's that's not, that's not yeah, all, although, although Michael but now there's Citizen Kane yeah, <laughs> in terms of the greatest, yeah. So the point is, Lavender Hill Mob, it's on a selected release. If you can't see it in a cinema, go and get it on DVD, along with nothing, all the other great Ealing comedies, Lady Killer's Man in the White Suit, which you, you need to see if you have to understand anything about British comedy, because mm -hmm. Ealing is very important. And Alec Guinness is great. 
Alan Guinness is always great. Daniel, wrap it up. Okay, so just for people who've only just joined us, in which case, where have you Expecting been? to come in to listen to Jerry G in the yes, afternoon. Yes, so if to... you missed all this, the cult film this week was The Hit Show starring Rutger Hauer, not the 2007 remake. It's really good, really scary, and but don't watch it late at night when there's no one else around because you will find yourself screaming a lot, although a lot of people will enjoy that. Um, the recommendation is Beginners. If you don't fancy that, go and see either Harry Potter or Kung Fu Panda 2 or The Tree of Life. It's in the cinemas. I'll be back same time next week uh, from 10 to 11 with Richard Dale talking about John Landis's horror comedy classic An American Werewolf in London. There you are, they're very well done. Thank you very much for putting up with us. I will now hand over to the very capable hands of Mr. Jerry G. But before that, there is time for the news. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure, Tom. Lion Heart Radio, the voice of Northumberland.